hope you weren't planning on flying to Europe anytime soon. The EU says no thanks to U.S. travelers. Eurovision is one of the most popular new movies on Netflix, but how much do you know about the songs that have won? And we've got epidemiologist and Harvard medical professor Julia Marcus with us to explain why shaming people who don't wear masks might actually make things worse. The date, July 1st, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey, everyone. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. And happy Canada Day to all of our Canadian listeners, who I assume there are many. (laughs) Yes, happy Canada Day. So I spent most of my teenage years in Michigan, so Canada was always just like right there. And I I just really appreciate Canada for their Canada-ness so much of the time. Like we spent my high school theater group, we would go to a city in uh, Canada called Stratford, where every year they had a Shakespeare festival. So we would load up a bunch of us onto into like a couple of vans and carpool up there. And the highlight was always stopping at the Canadian McDonald's, which had certain weird things like the double Big Mac. <gasps> the double Big Mac. It sounds like the most American thing in the world, but no, it was, I'd only seen it in Canada. You know what? I'm happy for Canada one-upping us. I think that's deserved. (laughs) Okay, it's time for today's top stories. Here's what's popping off. The European Union is reopening its borders today, but Americans aren't welcome. The EU sealed off its external borders back in March as the coronavirus was spreading around the world. Back then, Europe was still the epicenter of the crisis and they had enough shit to deal with. Now, they're allowing in non-essential travelers from a list of 14 other countries, including Canada, Japan, and Australia. Notably not on that list, the United States. The EU's list is being updated every two weeks, so it's possible that the U.S. could be added in the near future. But that doesn't seem likely given the trajectory of cases in the United States right now, where over 48,000 new cases were reported yesterday, the most of any day of the pandemic. Also, Dozens of people have already been arrested in Hong Kong today, one day after China secretly passed a new security law for the territory. Today marks Hong Kong's 23rd Establishment Day, when Hong Kong normally commemorates the return of the territory from the United Kingdom back to China in 1999. But gatherings had been banned by the local government this year, ostensibly because of COVID-19, but also because of the pro-democracy protests that overtook the city last year. That didn't stop thousands of demonstrators from turning out into the streets anyway, just a day after China passed a law that gave Hong Kong police new powers to break up the protests. The security law makes crimes like subverting state power, collusion with foreign forces, and secessionist activities punishable with life in prison. For hours after the law was passed yesterday, almost nobody in Hong Kong had actually been able to read it, even though it now lets the mainland send in security forces to put down protests if it wants. All in all, it's a big reversal from Beijing's previous promises of relative autonomy for Hong Kong. And finally, the United States Senate surprised everybody last night when it opted to approve an extension of the program meant to provide loans to small businesses struggling during the pandemic. The Paycheck Protection Program was passed in March, with Congress allocating $520 billion in loans meant to help businesses pay their workers. But the program was set to expire today with about $130 billion still left unspent, which is um a lot. And given the way the Senate works, it seemed unlikely that would change. So imagine everyone's surprise when the program was extended by unanimous consent. The Small Business Administration now has until August 8th to dole out the rest of the money. That is, if slash when the bill passed the House and is signed into law by the president. 
Congress is then set to go on leave for the 4th of July. When they come back two weeks later, most members seem to accept that another coronavirus response bill will be necessary. As for what that bill will contain, that's anybody's guess right now. Yeah, I mean, color me surprised. <laughs> I was I was not expecting that. I'm but I'm happily surprised. I'm happy this is happening. <laughs> I mean, given that the Senate can barely agree on whether the Senate bean stew in the cafeteria is good or not. Yeah, unanimous consent for anything has been kind of dwindling lately. So I'm sure that by the time this episode airs, that the House will have passed it, the president will have signed it, and that remaining $130 billion will soon be spent. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. I am, though, a little bit uh, concerned that, you know, we have to you have to wait for these two weeks and then come back and decide what the new bill will be, because I think we need one now. I mean, I well, Casey, that's why you're not a member of Congress, because with forward thinking like that, how could you be? Okay, Casey, what's big in the entertainment world today? Well, this is huge. Under the terms of a proposed settlement, some of Harvey Weinstein's victims will be eligible for part of a nearly $19 million survivor's fund. The nine plaintiffs involved in a 2017 class action lawsuit against Weinstein and the Weinstein Company reached the settlement yesterday. It also closes out a 2018 hostile work environment case from the New York Attorney General. Members of the class action suit will be required to submit a form describing their experience to access between $7,500 and $750,000. In addition to the fund, the settlement also releases the women from any NDAs they might have signed. Weinstein and other defendants still deny all allegations, but agree that moving forward is necessary. And this deal still needs to be approved by a New York federal court. Oof. I'm very glad that they have this money available to them now. I'm a little like wary about the fact that they have to fill out a form saying, here's what happened to me in order to get this money. That feels strange. Yes. It's like, please relive all of the stories you have told so many times publicly and privately so that we can then award you a monetary amount that we think is equal to that experience. Right? Like it's... A strange setup. Like the U.S. justice system, you're weird. And I'm not alone in that. I remember seeing that I think six of the women who had originally been signed on to the case said no thank you to the settlement and have said no, we, we will stay with our own pursuit of justice. And I think that's obviously incredibly valid. I mean, they experienced it. No one else did. So uh, every every victim of this uh, is going to choose their own path. And in less harrowing news, the director of High School Musical says that one of the characters was absolutely gay and probably came out in college. Fans have assumed for years that the character Ryan, the twin brother of pseudo-villain Sharpay, was gay, even if they never made it explicit in the movies. And as a queer person, I can tell you without a doubt, (laughs) canon or not, Ryan is gay. We all know it to be true. So confusing that he was never actually out in the movie. But now we know. So in an interview with Variety about the queer aesthetic in his movies, director Kenny Ortega said that when making the first High School Musical back in 2006, he wasn't sure if having Ryan be openly gay would fly with Disney? Mm, Probably not. Ortega said, quote, I was concerned because it was family and kids that Disney might not be ready to cross that line and move into that territory yet. So I just took it upon myself to make choices that I felt that those who were watching would grab. They would see it. They would feel it. They would know it. And they would identify with it. And that is what happened. It certainly seems like it was, Kenny Ortega. Good job. Hayes, may I go off for a second? Proceed. (laughs) 
So first of all, I think that what Kenny Ortega did is very important. I think that when you have the opportunity to put a queer character in somewhere that you take it, um, whether they're out or not. But here's something that I want to say for people who uh, he was clearly afraid that Disney wouldn't like that. And Disney has a reputation with that. They're about to have their first open, um, openly lesbian character um, for a Pixar movie. And the year is 2020. The fact is, is that Disney is full of coded queer characters. Okay, we I truly believe Elsa is queer. You can't tell me otherwise. Okay, many people think that my trans boyfriend got a lot from Mulan. When Mulan says, when will my reflection show who I am inside? He read that extremely deeply and he likes to pretend that the end of the movie where she goes back into girls clothes doesn't exist. So the fact is that Disney is full of that. However, I am of the mindset that we are not there yet in society. I hope that we are there one day where we can just have characters like Ryan where he's gay, but he doesn't say it and we know it and that's fine. But we're not there yet because we haven't had the opportunity for characters to be I'm gay. So it's just until we have that exact representation. We can't be at a point where it's just like, they're gay and we can whisper about it. Don't you see? And it's like, no, I want to know. And then we can have that later on. Okay. Thank you, Hayes. (laughs) No, no, that was beautiful. Thank you, Casey. That was amazing. All I had was that I really like Kenny Ortega's choreography. (laughs) That's way better than what I had to talk about after all that. Wow. (laughs) Yes, he has great choreography. He also did Hocus Pocus and that is the best movie ever. (laughs) Facts only from Casey today. (laughs) All right, everyone, when we come back, we're talking to infectious disease epidemiologist Julia Marcus about how the U.S. can overcome coronavirus despite the mask wearing divide. Be right back. Chief-It, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. I'm Colleen Witt. Join me, the host of Eating While Broke podcast, while I eat a meal created by self-made entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities over a meal they once ate when they were broke. Today, I have the lovely AJ Crimson, the official princess of Compton, Asia, Kidding, and Asia. This is The Professor. We're here on Eating While Broke, and today I'm going to break down my meal that got me through a time when I was broke. Listen to Eating While Broke on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh my God, I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO, and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, and I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played with Chuck Bass. I just can't believe that I did that with my life. Jay, we had like the most amazing time. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. 
Welcome back. After months of being on lockdown, states have slowly begun reopening and rolling back the restrictions on travel, dining, and gatherings. But now we're seeing daily coronavirus infection rates even worse than before. And in the middle of it all, somehow wearing a face mask has become a new dividing line in the U.S. To help us understand how we can still fight coronavirus despite this divide, we're joined by Julia Marcus. She's an epidemiologist, an assistant professor at Harvard Medical, and an author at The Atlantic, where her latest piece is titled, The Dudes Who Don't Wear Masks. Hi, Julia. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So first, let's talk about the different attitudes towards mask wearing in the U.S. We already know that it reduces the risk of transmission dramatically. So what do we know about who isn't wearing masks and why? Well, we have some early evidence that um, mask wearing is starting to fall along political lines. And um, I mean, I think that that's fairly clear anecdotally. And there have been some surveys as well that have suggested that people who are more conservative are less likely to wear masks. Um, And we see that playing out right now in the states where coronavirus infections are going up Um, quicker than other states. Those are the states where people are least likely to wear masks. So it's kind of a perfect storm. So I'm curious, though, is this a problem only in the U.S.? Like, is this a really American sort of issue at this point? I I don't think we see this problem universally in other countries, um, but I I don't think it's necessarily entirely unique to the U.S. Um, I, I I don't think we have other examples, though, where a president has explicitly gone against public health guidance in such a visible way. And I think that that's really what we're seeing playing out right now. Right. I mean, you do have Brazil, but even there, the everyone around him is saying, no, please stop, compared to here, where until recently, it feels like a lot of politicians have gone along with him. That's right. I think we are starting to see a shift slowly. Um, We saw Mike Pence wearing a mask a couple days ago and endorsing masks. You know, I think as we start to see things worsen, there are going to be more people, I hope, who who endorse public health recommendations, even those who are generally supportive of Trump. Julia, in your article, you write, Americans are figuring out how to live with a deadly new virus now, just as gay men did in the early years of AIDS. Can you explain the parallel there? Sure. I want to first start by saying these are very different viruses, very different epidemics, very different viral transmission dynamics. And so there's there are limits to what we can learn. But as an HIV researcher, I have been looking at what's playing out now through the lens of what we've learned about HIV. And I do think that it's worth considering what lessons we can bring to the current situation Just as we are now, um, in the early years of AIDS, there was a lot of um, fear and confusion as we were learning how to adapt to this new virus. And at the time, it was really the gay male community in particular that was being hit and having to adapt. And at that time, there was public health advice that was essentially just don't have sex for gay men. And that that was not going to be sustainable in the same way that indefinite lockdowns are not going to be sustainable now. And so the alternative was safer sex, condom use, as a way to 
you know, not it's not uh, popular. Uh, condoms are not everybody's favorite thing, but it is a way to still engage in sexual activity while keeping the risk of HIV transmission low. And if we bring that analogy to today, we now have masks along with other strategies like physical distancing that can allow us to get back to some parts of our lives while keeping the risk of transmission low. You also write about the role of shame and how it can backfire in these instances. Can you talk a little bit about that? One of the biggest lessons from HIV prevention is that shaming people does not have the effect that we want it to have. And actually, now, decades into the HIV epidemic, we know that stigma related to HIV and related to to sex and to um, sexual and gender minorities, all of those different kinds of stigmas are, are continuing to drive the HIV epidemic worldwide. So we've seen the way that shaming certain kinds of behaviors not only doesn't uh, change those behaviors, it doesn't make people adopt healthier behaviors, it actually drives them underground and makes people afraid to disclose what they're doing, which makes it much harder for people who work in public health to address it. So we know that shaming people into wearing masks probably won't work. And there are a lot of people who simply will not or cannot wear them. But we also know, as Dr. Fauci said recently, that if we don't stop this, we could get up to 100,000 cases a day soon in the U.S. So how do we move forward and reduce harm? Well, I think one of the first questions is around mask mandates, which have been enacted in some places. Um, and, and that will probably help to encourage mask use, especially if they come along with um, support for people wearing masks, literally giving people, making masks accessible, freely accessible, and giving them to people where they're most needed, including public transit um, and any other places where people are going to be in an enclosed environment in a crowd. Um, but even if there are mandates, we're still going to have to encourage people to use masks because mandates can't just rely on legal enforcement everywhere at all times. We, you know, in the case of, let's say, texting and driving, that's illegal in many places, but there are still campaigns, public health campaigns to try to discourage people from texting and driving. So you kind of need both approaches at the same time. And I think what we've learned from condoms and other public health interventions is that the first thing to do is to understand why people are reluctant to use whatever the new public health strategy is. And rather than just saying, come on, this is easy, just do it, just wear a damn mask, really taking a step back and trying to identify what are the reasons that people don't want to wear masks and, and then going from there and figuring out how can we address those barriers to try to promote mask uptake. So is it too late to stop this from ossifying into a cultural divide that can't really be overcome? And and how do we do that when there's been absent leadership from the top, namely the president? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it will be more of an uphill battle than it usually is. I mean, every new public health intervention that gets introduced, including something like seatbelts that's not related to sex or social contact, um, you know, kind of less fraught, even that there was resistance. And so this is kind of typical, but what's different here is the need to promote uptake very quickly. Um, and also this um, politicization that makes the job of public health much more difficult. I do hope that, you know, now that we're starting to see some um, more conservative leaders endorsing masks, that, that some of that politicization is going to ease as, unfortunately, people start to see um, the very real impacts of the coronavirus in places where it hadn't really hit as hard before. 
Well, Julia, thank you so much for joining us and breaking this all down for us. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks a lot for having me. Okay, Casey, you're a known fan of the new Netflix movie, Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, right? (laughs) Yes. Oh, I'm scared. Well then, today, today, Casey, I've got a game for you that I think you're really going to enjoy. Okay. Let's call this, and you can tell everyone, this is Euro Song. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to play you one of Eurovision's 67 winning songs from over the years, and you have to guess which country the performers are from. Okay, this is straight up just going to be me guessing. Is I'm a fan of Eurovision in that I saw the movie two days ago. I have seen zero Eurovision performances ever. And we're expanding your education, Casey. That's what the show is all about. Expanding horizons and also having some laughs at some amazing okay, Eurovision okay, songs. Okay. And also, it's going to be multiple choice. It's going to be okay. It's not going oh, to be that bad. Okay. I know, right? I love multiple choice. All right. So, well, fingers are crossed for you because here's the first song. It's called In Your Eyes and it won in 1993. Okay, Casey, do you think this song was performed by a singer from A, Germany, B, Ireland, or C, Denmark? Okay, my first instinct when I was just listening to it was I was going to say like Denmark or Sweden or something. So I'm going with Denmark. Ah, it was B. It was Ireland. (gasps) It was Ireland? It was Ireland. That was Neve Cavanaugh of (gasps) Ireland. And fun fact, that demo for that song was recorded by a young Idina Menzel. Oh my God. Wow. Also, now I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to have to tell my Irish roommate about this, how I messed up. <laughs> She's going to be okay. so mad at me. All right. Next up is the winner from 2007, and the song is called Molitva. So tell me, Casey, do you think that Molitva was performed by a singer from A, Iceland, B, Ukraine, or C, Serbia? <gasps> I'm going with Ukraine. Ah, no, I'm sorry. Who, who that was it? Serbia. No. It was a Serbian singer named Maria Sharifovic, and it was Serbia's first entry as an independent country, and it's only win so far. Oh, uh, cool. Also, I really liked that song. I was into it. I, I know. Felt, it I a- felt empowered. It's a banger. I can't wait for you to listen to the whole thing like after we're done here. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> okay, next up, we have this little ditty from 1988. Try to guess where <laughs> Okay, was that singer from A, Belgium? B, Switzerland, or C, France? Okay, is it is it going to be a trick case? Is it going to be All a right, trick? Fine. fine, forget C. It's going to be a trick, not C. I'm going to give you this set. I'll give you that, Casey. Okay, wait, I already forgot the other two because I was, I was like, France, 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 France. <laughs> okay, is it A, Belgium, or B, Switzerland? Oh my God, I'm going with Belgium. 
It was Switzerland. You've got to be kidding me. I've gotten it's, zero, right? Okay. I it's okay. It's, it's okay. <laughs> okay. But fun fact, you're going to love this. Okay. The singer of that song, Celine Dion. <gasps> I was okay. I was like, who is this Celine Dion impersonator? But I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that Celine Dion, um, she was a big Eurovision person, ABBA Eurovision. I mean, uh, they're not messing around. They aren't. Okay. So this is the last one. Oh, man. It's the 2014 winner. Rise like a phoenix. Rise like a phoenix out of the ashes, seeking rather than vengeance. Retribution, you were warned. Once I'm transformed, once So, was that singer from A, Austria, B, Latvia, or C, Italy? <laughs> got a 30 percent chance casey i'm my gut would have said italy and my gut's been wrong every single time so austria correct <laughs> you got it casey forget your gut that was conchita verse of austria that year uh she performed in a skin tight gold mermaid dress and full beard yes, iconic that, you've okay, seen it that's you love who i it. thought it was but i i couldn't remember what year um but i also didn't know they were from austria <laughs> i could just picture <laughs> the beard Right? And uh, what a great song. Casey, you got one out of four okay. right. Honestly, kudos to you for that because <laughs> this was a toughie and I, for one, am excited for you to go listen oh, to all of these songs I'm afterwards. I'm going to. I'm going to. So one of my colleagues just did a roundup of all of the actual um, Eurovision performers in the Eurovision movie and it's a great list and I'm like, yes, I need to know who everyone is now, stat. Well, that's it for today. Join us tomorrow when we discuss the Facebook ad boycott with New York Times cybersecurity reporter Shira Frankel. And remember, even if you can't go to Europe this summer, you can always experience the magic of Eurovision. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarms so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Hi, I'm Randy, and this is Dave. We're the founders of Bombas, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. So comfortable, we sold and donated millions of pairs. To sell and donate a lot of socks, we became obsessed with comfort. We reinvented the sock from the ground up, adding comfort innovations along the way. It worked. People tried them, loved them, told their friends about them. Helping us sell and donate millions of pairs. Try them now at bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash comfy. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh my God, I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. 
I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, and I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played Chuck Bass. Is this Michelle Trachtenberg? I'll never tell. Hey, I'm Taylor Momsen, and I play Jenny Humphrey. Hi, I'm Sebastian Stan, and I played Carter Payson. That was one of the reasons I liked the character Jenny so much, is that she was very relatable. The whole thing was such a joy for me to do, and I was just so thankful that people responded the way they did to what we were doing. This really was just, like, wonderful. I, like, have, like, warm feelings inside. Yeah, me too. I'm giving you air hugs. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.